0: Amen, amen. Well, again, welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. And so part of how we do that is just by gathering together. And if you're with us online, welcome. We did not Uber Eats any um, cinnamon rolls to you. You have to come, be here in the building to get cinnamon rolls. And if you're like, cinnamon rolls, I came in late. Go ahead and grab one, because like I said, all the sugar you need to make it through this sermon, I'm happy with. So we're, uh, we're glad that you're here. We are going to be walking through a section of Scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and 6. We've been in this series all fall long called Vapor, uh, Finding Meaning Under the Sun. And we said that this, this whole book of Ecclesiastes is one big sermon where a preacher is trying to say, Hey, how am I going to find satisfaction? How am I going to find purpose in, in a world that is secular? Uh, right? That's how we define it now. He says, under the sun, meaning away from God. And so early in this book, he spends a lot of time talking about uh, exploring purpose, exploring wisdom, exploring passion and pleasure and building and accomplishment. And last week, we begin chapter five by seeing how the preacher, that's what Ecclesiastes means, Solomon, who, who wrote this, talked about religion. And how if you uh, are, are distancing yourself from religion, meaning actually like trying to do what you can to please God, that you can actually draw near to God by with devotion, knowing that God has come to you. That we grow in reverence of God as we consider his glory, not religion, what can I do to, to somehow please God? And so today we have a section of scripture. If you, if you're new, it's going to be maybe kind of, kind of choppy. So welcome. We're, we're glad you're here. We're just going to talk about things like legacy, money, political power, all the fun things that people like to talk about and hope gets talked about in church. And, and that's really what these, these verses hit on. But before we get in there, I have to do a little bit of work and it's this. The end of chapter five and chapter six are not written for an audience like ours. And what I mean by that is we are a Western audience in in the 21st century, and we like very linear thinking, right? Give me from point A to point B. I want to know where's the start, where's the finish. And particularly in storytelling, or if you're like, hey, you know, tell me about your life. Like, if you are all over the place, we're like, I I don't know how how to follow that. We like it linear, beginning, middle, end. Well, Ecclesiastes is written to, to an Eastern uh, audience a couple thousand years ago, and, and in their literature, it was often not beginning, middle, end, but rather it was beginning end, new beginning. And so if you read Ecclesiastes 5, uh, starting in verses 8, all the way through 6, which is where we're going to be today, and you just read it straight through, it's going to feel like starting on one end of the mountain, climbing up, getting to the top and being like, okay, I can see it. I got joy. I got hope. And then and then the next verse is just descend back down the mountain, and you're back in the dark valley again. And I don't want us... To go through the journey that way, I, I want us to be able to, 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 if we're thinking about things like power and wealth and legacy, I want us to actually rather start at maybe like the 40,000 flyover level. And then we're going to kind of maybe like in an airplane, kind of circle the city, get the lay of the land a little closer, circle the runway. And then eventually as we close today, we're going to land in joy. So that's where we're going. So if you have your Bibles, uh, and I hope you do, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And we have gotten this broken up into kind of a wonky way, but but we'll just, uh, we'll get there. Ecclesiastes 5, starting in verses 8 and 9. says this. Ecclesiastes 5, 8 and 9. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high officials watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gained for the land in every way. A king committed to cultivating fields. And so um, as we start with the idea of wealth, and here he's talking about injustice to the poor. When we come in and we think about something like wealth, we just kind of assume, right, that more wealth is better. And so the, the answer to all of our problems is usually financial, right? Like ah, I don't like my house. Cool, more money you can redo the house, right? Like oh, you know I'm hungry. Hey, go buy some food, right? You know more money uh, is great uh, unless you grew up in the 80s and 90s and you you know notorious B.I.G. He said what? Mo money, nobody. Mo problems. Thank you. Somebody got it. Mo money, more problems, right? And so we're like okay, there's there can be challenges with wealth, but but most of us don't have the mo money, more problems. Most of us have the no money. No problems, right? And that's something we experience. When we, when we don't have money, um, the solution that we think we, we have is just to get more of it, right? And so when we are succeeding, or, or we uh, rather aren't succeeding, and, and we begin to believe that we should have more, we start our journey by looking outside of ourselves. What's going on in the world that's causing me to not be satisfied? Why don't I have enough? Why am I not wealthy enough? When I look at this system, I see injustice, and I don't like that, and it gets me angry. And so here he's talking about the relative justice or lack thereof of the system. And Solomon, who was a king, is speaking explicitly politically. So if you're like, hey, he's saying a bunch of stuff about politics. Guys, this is the text right here today. And he says, hey, if you're wondering why there's not justice for the poor, part of why there's not justice for the poor, if you will, is the system's kind of rigged. And that's like a little discouraging, right? Um, Because he's saying, hey, we need to have an understanding that yes, governments are ordained by God, and they're there to to, uh, punish bad conduct, and they're there to help us flourish. But also, governments are run by people, and people by their nature are broken and sinful. And so there's going to be issues in governmental systems and structures, in business systems and structures that end up leading to injustice. And so the structures of the world do not lend themselves to the poor always finding their way out of it, right? And so and it's because there's this problem that humanity has that's intrinsic to, let's be clear, all of us, and that's greed. And when you marry greed with power, the child that's birthed from that marriage is economic injustice. And so, for example, um, in the last year, I j- just saw the stat this week, so I don't know how, how uh, honest it is. It was on the internet. Uh, and so, uh, but it said that there in the last 18 months, 141 new billionaires have been made. Cool. Maybe they can afford milk now right maybe they can get their stuff shipped over from china on a different boat so that they can have you know right anybody else in the last 18 months been like i've been crushing it economically well no we've seen people lose their jobs we've seen rapid inflation we've seen uh, businesses shut down right so one thing's happening cool more billionaires another thing's happening like hey other people are suffering and, and, and part of that is because of policies impact people governmental policies impact people, business policies impact people, things we do individually impact one another. And this is what he's saying is he's like, hey, if you're just looking to the system to somehow just figure it out and then you're gonna be satisfied. Like the next election is gonna fix it or this political promise is gonna fix it or this bill is gonna get passed. No, he's saying that he's literally calling out the inherent injustice of the bureaucratic system. Right, look again at verse eight. Don't be amazed. For there's a high official, but he's watched by a higher, and there's another higher one over that. And so he's saying, as a king, I saw that there were so many layers of government that the little guy couldn't win, right? What's the old adage? You can't fight city hall. Um, I just got an email this week from our school district, and it said, hey, we're changing some policies. And then it said, but basically, don't yell at us because we got these from the county and they got them from the state. Cool. And I know the state got them from somewhere else. And you know, there's it, it, just layers upon layers. So, so man, that can be really it, it kind of discouraging, right? And I know some of you right now are welling up and you're like, I'm a good libertarian. I got an answer. I got an answer. Just get rid of the government, right? And and here in Ecclesiastes, he's saying, no, that, that's not going to be the answer. That The answer for, for government kind of not getting it right is not no government. So whether it's the Antifa anarchists in Seattle in the summer, or whether it's just a a good old fashioned Ron Swanson libertarian um, uh, in his wood shop, neither one of those guys have it right. What he says is the answer is not no government, he says the answer here is in verse nine. To be realistic about the challenges that we face and recognize that actually in verse nine, it is gain for the land in every way, a king committed to cultivating fields. That what we need is, is actually government, rather, or, or, or leadership to be committed not to systems of injustice, but things actually go well when you have leadership that's committed to, it says, the cultivation of fields, flourishing for all. So the answer is not for bad leadership isn't no leadership, it's godly leadership. So saying, you know, if... Like, and, and guys, I don't know that we're always going to see that, right? You, know, you can debate on which system that is or which leaders those are. But this isn't to expect us to to just disengage from the world, but it's to be realistic about the challenges we face if our goal, that 40,000-foot that goal, is to pursue wealth. If wealth is your driver and you are poor, then understand that power and wealth actually do, in a sense, stand in your way. But again, the answer is not, you know, hey, let's go start Chaz and Chop, because I don't think that worked pretty well until their parents stopped sending pizza, right? Um, Kind of broke down. Okay, anyway, we're way off the notes. 10 through 12, he goes on to get a little more personal. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Verse 12, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or eats much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So if, if, if you're down and you're hoping to move up or, or, or you're actually doing pretty well, you're like, no. economically, we're doing okay. And, that, and that's great. There's there's no, hear, don't hear me wrong. There is no shame in that at all. Either way, you're not going to be satisfied with the wealth you have. And so the remedy for your desire, if your desire is wealth alone or wealth apart from God, if your answer is just more wealth, then you are going to be disappointed all the time. Because if you're loving wealth, you're loving something that can't love you back. And so we've now gone from a worship orientation to having communion with the God who made us to an idolatry um, uh, relationship where you're worshiping something that's not actually living, It doesn't even have the ability to love you back. And so in verse 10 and then later in in, um, chapter six, verse seven, it shows you that when you love something like money, you're going to be constantly dissatisfied. And so, um, you know, sometimes we, we make movies about greed, right? In the, in the 80s, it was Wall Street. Uh, and then they, um, they made a remake a few years ago with uh, Sheila Boof. I don't know if that's how you say his name. Maybe there's like a nicer way to say it. But uh, he's asking a character, Josh Brolin, in the movie. And he says, hey, you know, he's some investment guy. Hey, what's your number? What's, what's your number that if you had this much wealth, you would tap out and you'd stop striving, you'd stop working, you'd stop trying to take over, you know, the little guy or whatever, right, you know, you know and then you would just go, go live life. What's your number? And Josh Brolin just, just coldly says, more. And I think if we've gotten into a, a treadmill of, of trying to see our, our wealth increase or, 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 or try to have more money or just, just have more of something, that whenever we get to that more, we find that we're not as satisfied as we thought we were gonna be. Right? Some of you walked in and you looked at that, you know, 10 foot by 4 foot, you know, wall of cinnamon rolls we had. Right? And you, you took one. I'll tell you, two wasn't going to make you feel better. Not from experience. I stayed away. I'm going to wait till after the sermon because I don't want to have a diabetic crash right here on stage in front of all of you guys. Right? But, I mean, every Tuesday for me, even with Papa Murphy's, is like two pieces of meat marvel is great, but four would be better. No, it, it doesn't leave you more satisfied. Eventually, you acquire so much, he says, you need to hire others just to maintain your stuff. Right, so your property taxes are bigger, and now you need to hire somebody to do the lawn. And, and um, for Solomon, right, we we covered this a few weeks ago if you're with us. But in First King chapter four, Solomon was so wealthy that the entire economy almost ran off of just kind of keeping his cities uh, and, and fortresses and and palaces all running. So yeah, there was kind of like a, a trickle down effect in some regards. But but he's saying also there becomes a growing entourage of hangers-on and friends who you never knew you had. And so you get wealthy, and all you can do is see others consuming it. And so he's trying to hit us on this truth that greater wealth does not lead to greater rest. And so where there's a desire for greater wealth and possession, um, and I think there is, part of that, right, is, is a, a greater sense of security, right? Like, like it's okay to, to have savings, right? You, you want to manage your money wisely. Proverbs talks about that a ton. Great wisdom in the Bible on how to manage financial resources, what's wise to do. But sometimes I think our pursuit of wealth is, is one that we want to have enough security that I don't have to rely on anybody else. So I don't want to have to rely on my family. I don't want to have to rely on the government. I don't want to have to rely on the community. If I have enough of my own stuff, I don't have to rely on anybody. And so there's this desire for independence. In, um, in media, uh, they, they talk about it um, this way, right? Um, you wanna have so much money that you have what's called blank you money, right? So you can say whatever you want, you can do whatever you want because you're in a way self-insured with all of your financial resources. The heart of that at times can be a desire for independence where God has actually called us to interdependence To be a blessing to others and we'll see here later a joy uh, as well and so solomon talks about this guy who's consumed so much luxury that he says his stomach is full and yet it doesn't satisfy he says you have indigestion from acute affluenza that's a dad joke Ah, see, some of you got it, affluence, affluent okay. Man, I, I, I was at Costco two days ago uh, and I was at the checkout and some guy was talking about math and I said, you know, there, there's three types of people in this world, those that can count and those that can't. Some of you aren't, whoa, some of y'all can't count. And there was like a, an audible like chuckle from somebody like, you know, two, two uh, ways over. I was like, hey, I got six kids, I gotta have dad jokes ready to go at any given point, okay. Here, Solomon's saying, your life can be so luxurious, you don't get to experience a deep sleep or rest because you're not even taxed in any way, shape, or form, right? And so so like a lot of my job involves sitting and drinking coffee and meeting with people and reading books and writing stuff and meetings and more meetings and, and more meetings. And, and that at times, uh, and seasons, has left me, left me restless. Where by the end of the day, like, okay, I've had so much coffee and, and I've had um, you know so little physical activity, I can't even fall asleep. And so you know, I have to like exercise a ton just to, to wear myself out so I can, can get some sleep. He says, for the rich, there's this added stress of worrying about their stuff. But he says on the flip side, for those that have like a, like a physically challenging job, and here he says even specifically, like even with like not a lot of responsibility, called you know, the laborer, he's like, these guys sleep great. They work hard all day. At the end of the day, they're done. They set down their responsibilities shut their brain off, and they get some rest. And so he's saying, wow, the accumulation of wealth does, just leads to more stress. It doesn't lead to greater rest. He expounds on this just a little bit more before we move on to the next section in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, 7 and 9. So skip ahead there, 6, 7 and 9, same idea. All the toil of a man is for his mouth, and yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man who, have, uh, who knows about how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is a vanity, vapor, right? Or a striving after the wind. And so here he's talking about that perpetual treadmill we put ourselves on where we're working and working and working, but, but nothing's happening. We're not going anywhere. We're, not, we're working for our own appetites, and so we're never satisfied. And he says, what happens, right? You know, you, you finally get what you want. You finally get to the end of the treadmill. You get to the, your destination. Realize how unsatisfied you are, and you start a whole other journey. Anybody, Anybody done that? Right? You, you finally achieved something, you finally got something, and you were like, man, I thought it was going to be this. And so then you just keep going. Here he says, wandering appetites. It's, it's like traveling but never arriving, right? You know, nobody ever wants to go on a road trip and not know where it's going. Like, oh, we're just just going for a drive. Oh, that's cool. Where are we going? I don't know. And that's fun for a while. And then, and then eventually, you, know, you, just, you just find yourself in Pullman, you're stuck. Like I guess this is where I'm at now, right? Nobody wants to be in Pullman. Nobody. See, I have to make fun of the Cougars because we just lost to the Ducks yesterday. My soul hurts. Okay. When you're doing this for yourself, you're never going to be satisfied. So we've kind of looked at systemic problems and just kind of the, the general idea. Now, now we're going to get down a little, a little closer. A couple case studies he has for us where he's going to talk specifically about legacy. He says, our pursuit of wealth has an impact beyond ourselves. It can lead us to these sickening legacies. And so I'm going to go to Ecclesiastes 5, 13 through 17. As we go there, you're going to hear this term where it says grievous evil. And that that really translates better to a sickening evil. It's an aggressive cancer that eats away the body from the inside. It spreads to impact those around you. And so it's this evil that we don't consider, and, and, it's, and it's, it's simply this. Living life without any enjoyment. And so if you've heard me wrong, or I said it wrong in the first few minutes here, wealth is not evil. Acquiring wealth is not evil. Pursuing wealth is not evil. But hoping in it is, and believing that it alone is what will satisfy is. And so in these verses you're about to see, he's going to say, evil's not to enjoy life. And so we're going to see a little closely two case studies of how evil it is to not enjoy your life. The first one is for somebody who lost it all. He had it all, but then lost it all. It says this in verse 13 through 17. There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And He's a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. And as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he come, and he shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hands. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils after the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Okay, this guy's not doing well, right? This is the guy who had it all. Things are going great, right? This first is a father. He had it all. He lost it all. Um, and it says that he didn't use his wealth to cultivate a legacy. So um, to be clear, like we should never be so fixated on our legacy that we forget our mission today. Right. Don't think only about your legacy tomorrow and forget your mission today. But here, this guy was so today focused, live in the now, live in the moment. What's good for me right now? That he's had no consideration at all for the legacy he's received or the legacy he might hand off. So he is, he's like a black hole where everything kind of terminates in on him. Says he's been gifted a son. In in the Old Testament, right, that was a sign that that God had given you favor and and that you uh, are going to have a legacy that lives beyond you. So this is a guy who's supposed to be thinking ahead, and instead he's thinking of himself. He forgot that he is blessed to be a blessing. If you've been blessed, it is for your joy, yes, and also to be a blessing to others. But instead, this guy says he kept it. He held it tightly to his hurt. When did the hurt come? Well, it came when he lost everything, it said, leaving him with nothing. And so he got risky, right? He was so focused on increasing his riches that he's like gone to some really risky ventures, right? And he paid dearly for it. And so there's this, this bad venture, right? An investment that, that didn't pay off. It's like if you threw all in in 1997 on fax machines, you did not do well. Right? Anybody faxed anything recently? Anybody? Of course not. That's terrible. Right? Nobody faxes. Okay. What was it for you? Or what has it been? We, we've all seen these examples, right? We've we've all we've all watched the movie, right? Where where the the guy is is not not he's not a steward, investing wisely. He's a gambler. And so, right, he, he's at the casino, right? He was, he was down thousands. And then, and then, right? He goes on a big, big run and he's ahead, right? And we've all seen the scene and it, it makes us cringe, right? Because he's now way ahead and you're like, Oh my gosh. If he walked away now, like the story would be over. Like, like generations, you, you know, after would, would, would praise his name because, you know, he, he's well, he's gotten all he needs. And he's like, no, no, a little bit more. If I just put it on black, let's put it all on black. And we've seen it, right? It comes up red. And you're just like, ah, why? Why couldn't he walk away? Because wealth can be so intoxicating. He had riches, but he wasn't satisfied. And so instead of his ship coming in, his ship sank because he was trying to pursue too much. He wasn't a steward focused on cultivating. Rather, he was a gambler. And so he says he has nothing to give his son. So see, it didn't just impact him, it impacted the next generation. Um, We just finished up, I think a really impactful study for our men Uh, here in the church. We had about 20 guys getting together every Wednesday and we talked a little bit about the legacies we'd received from our parents. And so I think we all know and understand the generation before us has had an impact on us today. We have an impact, yes, on one another, but we will have an impact on the next generation. And so there's opportunities, right, to change what that legacy looks like. Your legacy does actually matter. And so we don't work merely for ourselves, but we build into, we build for the next generation. And so I want you to ask yourself, how have you been blessed by previous generations? And then I want you to ask yourself, and maybe maybe this is easier for some of us than others, but have you been held back because of the poor stewardship of the generation before you? Now, I, you know, we're Christians, right? We're not, we're not defined by our, our fathers on earth. We're defined by our Father in heaven who sent Jesus to live for us, die for us, rise again. okay? Our identity is in that family, in Jesus' blood in our place, not the, not the blood line that we come from. But let's also recognize that we live in a place and a space and a time and, and you've been impacted by the family, by the community, by the country you've inherited. And there will be an impact to the family and the country that we hand off, and the community that we hand off. And so stewardship matters, that's, that's the big idea. And so in this case, right, he lost it all, but but the, the deficit that he lost goes beyond just financial. Because he, he had his entire life, he had one son to steward, and he, it doesn't even say that he showed him, hey son, this is what it looks like when you lose. So learn from dad, and go a different direction. I, um, I, I, I've had some, some pretty rough moments in my life, and, and Chris Rich has done some, some pretty bad things early, earlier in his life, and um, there's a temptation at times to not wanna share that with my kids, so they just think dad's awesome. By this point, they're not that impressed, okay? But I have a responsibility where I've fallen into specific areas of sin earlier in my life to, to steward and shepherd the next generation of, of kids that I know to say, you know, I can tell you where this goes and it doesn't go well. And so that, that, that takes, right, like recognizing how we deal with loss matters. This is what it means to be a man, son. This is how we deal with loss and failure. And so instead of stewarding wisely what he's giving, he lost it and then he spent his days not learning from his loss but it says in vexation uh, annoyed frustrated worried in sickness in darkness and anger and so that one loss rather than okay we're starting back at ground zero this is the day the lord has made let's rejoice and be glad in it let's let's l- love other people let's let's see where we can go he just uh-uh, that was it game over so his legacy was one of anger of joy, and the consequences weren't just economic; they're spiritual. When your hope is in wealth, when you lose wealth, the consequences aren't just economic; they're spiritual, because that's where your hope is in, right? And so, this is the bad example, right? Well, what about what if what if you just don't lose? Okay, what, what if you what if it just goes well? What if you build a business and it, and it really takes off? What if you inherit a business and you take it to another level? What if you've got generational wealth and you have all the things you could ever want or need? Well, let's see that how that works out starting in chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Here's the second, The First guy had it all and lost it. This guy has it all. There's an evil I've seen under the sun and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth and possession and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity, a vapor. This is a grievous evil. There it is again. If a man fathers a hundred children, lives many years, so the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial. Hold on. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun nor known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to one place. So this second guy is the one that I think we'd all sign up for. Not the guy who lost it all. This is the guy who's had it all. It says he's been given his whole heart's desire. And not only like that, Like it says that he gets to live long and prosper, right? I mean, he gets the promise. He gets all the things that we would ever want, that we could ever need. And in these desires um, to, to have it all, all the honor. He lacks nothing. He doesn't have one son. He's got hundreds of sons. He's got a legacy. He's got time to enjoy it. it says a couple thousand Years to enjoy it. Stuff, great stuff. And yet, here in Ecclesiastes, he said, this is a sickening evil. Why? There's no joy. says he doesn't enjoy it. He, he's not content. Stuff, even great stuff without enjoyment, is worthless. So we have to have our desires directed properly. Um, Psalm 34, seven says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Sometimes we twist that a little bit and say, okay, if I love the Lord, he'll give me what I want. You no, know, what that verse means is, if your heart's desire is the Lord, you're gonna get to have communion with the Lord. You get God, who's the creator of all things, who's the source of all joy. And so this guy had everything he could want under the sun, everything that we think would satisfy us. And it says his soul is not satisfied at all. He lacks the ability and the power to enjoy what he's been given. And this is just just so sad because apparently he was so consumed with his own desires not being satisfied that he's not willing or able to pour into or love his kids because it says when he passes, nobody even knows his name. He's not given a proper burial. There's no legacy um, that, that he has that's that's drilled down, that is actually owned by his family. They're like, whatever, dad was great. Um, I, I watched a, a movie, man, I watched a lot of movies apparently. Um, uh, and it was about Steve Jobs. And it was uh, written by Aaron Sorkin, he's a great writer. And it just kept hitting this theme over and over again of, um, of him and his relationship with his daughter. And now with every product launch, yeah, that was going great, but the relationship with his daughter wasn't. I don't know Steve Jobs, and I don't know his his family, but there was this idea, right? You can have all the success in the world and still not have joy, and eventually there's no relationships. There's no legacy. And here the preacher gets so deadly serious, saying it's better to to not live outside the womb, to not see the sun, or experience all the good that life has to offer if it's not going to be enjoyed. He talks about a stillborn baby, right? In darkness, its name is covered. He said that to be unknown and no legacy is the better to be known as rich and honorable, but then to have no joy, no life for others, and to have your relationships torn asunder. Um, I I know that section's dark. And, And yet, there's one part of verse five that I really want to hone in on for just a moment. That I hope gives us a little bit of joy, maybe specifically for some of you. Some some people here have experience with abortion, and some people here have experience with miscarriage. Right? So we know about a stillborn baby. And yet it says here in verse 5 something that, that is just, it's always been a question for me, guys. This isn't really like along the same theme of the text, but it says, moreover, right, talking about this baby he's not seen the sun or known anything yet it finds rest that word rest is where you get the word peace and shalom that god knows and loves that baby and it says it's found rest that's rest that comes from the lord and so i don't know who has experience in those things here but I hope you can look to that verse for a moment, and if there's been a question on, does God care? Does God know about that soul? Does God steward that soul? Here it says that soul finds rest. Like I said, don't know, don't know who needs to hear that, but I hope that's a balm for you. Okay, let's let's land the plane with some joy. Okay. Last verses here in Ecclesiastes, um, uh, two sections in, in five and eight, or five and six rather. God gives joy and he saves our legacies. Verse 18 in chapter 5. See, so I told you, it skips around. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with what? With joy in his heart. And so there can be so much dissatisfaction and and, and darkness, right? Wealth, injustice, government, loss, right? All these things, a life under the sun, that's part of it. But wealth, possession, honor, offspring, all these things, they can be good, but they're not good enough on their own. Something incredibly significant is missing that leads us to not have joy. And so what I love about this section of scripture, these verses have the form of joy four times. And four times it refers to joy, enjoyment, rejoice. And it does so as a gift that has been given. If you have any joy in life, that is a gift from the Lord, and every time this gift is mentioned, it says you'll find God as the source of the gift giver. Right, God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. You have joy in your heart, that's from the Lord. Just receive it, enjoy it. Right, the, the fat and the sugar of the cinnamon, the frosting, I saw Melissa, she said there's like a five gallon bucket of frosting. Enjoy the frosting. It's a gift from the Lord, right? You you have a family that's a gift from the Lord. You have a roof over your head that's a gift from the Lord. You have some warmth that is a gift from the Lord. God is the source, and he's a wealthy and generous giver. And so I want us to close with some principles. It's this. Number one, God gives us all the days we have under the sun. So whether your life is short or whether your life is long, in comparison to eternity, it's, it's just an eyelash. And yet we know that this is the day that the Lord has made. So that we should rejoice and be glad in it. Every, every breath you have, every heartbeat, that's a gift from the Lord. it's for your joy. It says, even in the midst of toil. Number two, God gives wealth and possession and power and influence as he sees fit. Right? He talks about their lot. But yeah, somebody might have more than you, pretty likely. Somebody's going to have less than you, pretty likely. Like somebody has you way over here in this other part of the country or the world, and some of us are meant to be right here. This is the lot that we have. And God determines some of these things. So yes, we work hard, we steward well, we get up early, we, you know, we work our jobs, and at the end of the day, we find rest, we find enjoyment, we have a good meal. We have some good food with good company, right? And so if you have good things, if you have a position where you're able to lead, manage, or influence others, know that's from God. Don't feel guilty if you've been put in a position of leadership. Don't feel bad if you've been given influence or favor or wealth. It is for your joy and it is for you to steward and bless and cultivate those around you, right? How this whole sermon began, right? A king who's committed to cultivating all of us have a little kingdom, a little allotment that we're given, that we're meant to cultivate for enjoyment and, and, and blessing. God wants you to enjoy what you have and to steward what you have to bless others, even if you don't have much. Number three, God gives the ability to rejoice even in our toil. I love that he uses that word, because toil's not work. Work is that thing we're given from God for purpose. Toil is when work is hard. When it's difficult, when it's cursed, we can even have joy in the midst of that. Yes, guys, I've been saying this, I feel like, for 18 months at least. It's going to be hard. This is hard. It might get harder. It might get more difficult, but we can still have joy when we accept where God has us, what He has for us, and all that He has given us has been for our joy. It doesn't mean we have to like things that we don't want to like. But it means when We recognize where the days of our lives come from, where the things that we have come from comes from the Lord, we have a chance for joy. Number four, God gives us a fullness of joy. He says that occupies our hearts. Man, I love that. It's not a small thing, right? You, you've got something good. You've got good days and bad days. But he, he said, hey, here you're going to be living with the Lord. Like, like when you have a relationship with the Lord, that joy can occupy your heart. Think about like an occupied nation. Like it is filled, it is on lock, and, and, and that lock is joy with the Lord. And maybe you're like, okay, I'm not feeling that today. Or I haven't felt that for a long time. And I'll... I'm right there with you. I love that Ecclesiastes is also realistic. These are the last verses we're going to read in Ecclesiastes 6, 8 through 12. or 10 through 12. Whatever has come to be has already been named. And it's been known what man is. But he's not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And What is the advantage to a man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the last few days of his vain life? which will pass like a shadow. Who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? You're like, "Hey, yeah, there's there's going to be things we don't win. There's going to be times that we don't feel like we're getting ahead." There's many times it feel like a loss and, and our, our moments at that is in light of God's character when, when we find ourselves in these places of dissatisfaction. We're not to, to go to God and argue with him. God, why didn't you make this better? Instead, we go to God and we surrender and recognize that he is the source of our lives. He is the source of our joy and that our lives under the sun will end. And in some regards, yeah, we should care about our legacies. But let's also understand where our destiny is. Our destiny, whether you started out poor and end poor, whether you started rich, lost it all, started rich, got rich, or whatever it is, your destiny, if you're in Christ, is an eternal inheritance that the Bible says is immeasurable. That that is that God is so gracious to us that the inheritance you're going to receive is going to be overwhelming. And that's where our eternity's at. So we can toil here, we can work here, we can plug in for a legacy here, knowing that there's not any investment that we make that is following the Lord that's not gonna pay off. This this poem by C.T. Studd says it this way. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed only what's done for Christ will last I want us you to know that in Jesus our joyless legacies our sickening legacies uh, that, that, that Jesus has taken those and he has nailed them with himself to the cross in our place and in his resurrection what we are given is a saving legacy that's now ours that we haven't earned but echoes into eternity. It's a legacy of perfect stewardship and contentment and joy so that the life we live now, we can rest, we can work, we can enjoy all with a sense of peace when we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.